2: Growing up in the 80s, I remember two things about the New York Giants. First, they were really good at Tech Bowl. Second, Lawrence Taylor was a beast. This is a team that has an amazing history, founded in 1925 by Tim Mara for an investment of $500. The Giants have had a lot of ups and a lot of downs. They've won four Super Bowls. They've been to five. Four NFL championships before the Super Bowl era, they played in 15 total championship games. They were the team to defeat the undefeated New York, the New England Patriots, I should say, in 2007, which many Dolphins fans are still thankful for. They were also part of the game that really catapulted the NFL into national prominence. Like many of the early NFL teams, the Giants were not very profitable. If you are a fan of the Giants, you owe a lot to the Chicago Bears. When the Bears came to town in 1925, they brought along a player by the name of Red Grange, which people wanted to see. They wanted to see Red Grange play so much that 73,000 people paid to see him play. That allowed the Giants to actually make money, thus allowing them to stay a franchise. Overall, as of 2020, the Giants have a record of 702 Regular season wins, 618 regular season losses, and 33 regular season ties. They boast an astonishing 32 Hall of Famers. Fun facts. They were part of the greatest game ever played, the 1958 NFL championship against the Baltimore Colts. They actually played a charity game against the Notre Dame All-Stars in 1930, which also catapulted professional football into a reasonable status where people thought that this could actually be a good league. In 1934, in the championship game against the Chicago Bears, the field was so bad due to cold weather that cleats wouldn't work. At halftime, the Giants made the decision to play in sneakers. They had to go to Manhattan College and use their basketball players' shoes. The Giants won the game as a result of changing the shoes. This is called the sneaker game. And I found out as well, don't ask any Giants fans about any miracle in the Meadowlands. Now, I want to share a story from the book, Tales from the New York Giants Sideline by Paul Schwartz. It says, this veteran of six years in the NFL defensive end George Martin by 1981 wasn't shocked or amazed by much. Then Lawrence Taylor arrived. You couldn't even draw a map for Lawrence for him to find where the weight room was, Martin said. Lawrence was just a phenom. After the first morning double session, everyone would go to their room and pass out due to the exhaustion. He would go out to the golf course and play around a round of golf. One year, he came in during the early part of training camp. We had just reported. And we had known Lawrence had one of these famous Lawrence Taylor offings off seasons, golfing, carousing, partying, and enjoying himself. He came in and saw, and we saw him snatch without ever lifting a weight, 315 pounds from a deadlift over his shoulders. That's an amazing stat about one of the best defender, defensive players to ever play the NFL. I want to thank you for listening to Footballist Family, if you want to be part of this podcast, you can message me at on Twitter at Jeremy underscore McFarland or on the Footballist Family Facebook page. Also, we have several different podcasts available on the Sports History Network at sportshistorynetwork.com. If you want to listen, subscribe to any of these great podcasts because they will definitely encourage you. And give you a lot of knowledge about football history that you may not have known. But I do have a sponsor here: Gerard Butler, Marine in and Scott Glenn, star in the Rotten Tomato Certified Fresh, Pulse-Pounding Disaster Thriller, Greenland. When a planet-killing comet races toward Earth, a father and his family make the perilous journey to their only hope for sanctuary, while encountering the best and worst in humanity as the countdown to global apocalypse approaches zero. Own Greenland today on digital, Blu-ray, and DVD, which includes deleted scenes, feature commentary with director Rick Romanois, and much more. And we'd like to welcome everybody back to Footballer's Family. And I have two special guests tonight. Uh, Would you like to introduce yourselves? Either one.
1: Okay. Um, My name is Andrew Newman. Um, I am one of the co-hosts of the Hello Old Sports podcast here on the Sports History Network. Uh, I am fortunate to co-host that with my brother, so I'll let him introduce himself right now.
3: And I'm Dan Newman. I am the other co-host of Hello Old Sports. Uh, Andrew and I both born and raised in New York State, uh, about uh, 90 miles north of New York City. And Andrew still lives in the New York area. I am currently in D.C. We started our show, I guess, about three months ago now, three and a half. I think uh, episode 15 posted today. So we're on to about, like I said, maybe a little over three months. We do a lot of football, but we also do a lot of baseball. We do basketball. We've got a couple NBA-themed shows coming up we've done some boxing you know so a l- little bit of everything from us but we both are lifelong fans of the Giants the New York Giants the football Giants so we're excited to talk
2: about our favorite team a little bit now I'm I'm still having a little issue with last week's episode of your of, of your podcast how could Jay Cutler not be above Tim Tebow I just don't get it
1: <laughs> well, well, Neither of them made it, right? Because I think we had Jake Plummer made it as the fourth guy for the Broncos right above uh, – right, so it was, it was Elway, um, Peyton Manning, and then who was the third one, Dan? And then Jake Plummer was definitely fourth. Right?
3: Craig Morton. Craig and, Morton. and uh, Now, was that Cutler you just held up with that picture, Jeremy? Yeah,
2: i got a story behind that. Um, my wife thought I, – I, I got it in the mail. He autographed it, mailed it to me. And I'm just nerding out, and I put it back in the envelope that that uh, it came in, and uh, my wife picked it up, didn't know it was in there, and ripped it in half. <laughs> so if you look at it right down his chest, there's an owie. I see that. <laughs> um, it, it hurts a little bit, but I, I, I get it. You know, I'm giving you a hard time. Uh, there's only about two or three people I know that are Jay Cutler apologists, and I'm, I'm one of them.
1: Well, and I'll tell you, if our most recent episode that just dropped today, where we talked about the NFC teams, uh, I think the Chicago. I think you'll find the part where we talk about the Bears a little more uh, to your liking.
2: Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Um, I, did, I agree with that. Um, did we end up
1: including Cutler? Yeah, there's was really for a franchise that's been around a hundred years. There's not much from a quarterback standpoint.
2: Now look, now you went from good to bad. <laughs> We're going to have to turn this around real quick, Andrew.
3: <laughs> what we did for those who are curious is we did uh the last two weeks, we did uh sort of Mount Rushmore's uh the four best quarterbacks in franchise history for every for each of the 32 teams, and then we sort of decided who was the best in each division, each conference, and then who was the the best league-wide. And neither the I guess Denver was pretty high. They, they think they might have even made it out of the AFC West, but uh, Chicago didn't make it nearly as far.
2: Well, they got up against the Packers, but I'm not going to give that. Uh, make sure you listen to that episode. And while they're, you know, they clue Cutler, everybody cheer, please. I want to feel it. But we're going to be talking about another uh, NFC team tonight, and that would be the New York football Giants. Now, you say you grew up 90 miles away from New York in New York State. Um, what brought about your fandom of the Giants?
3: You know, it's funny. um, Growing up, my, my dad, our dad, grew up in Philly and moved to the New York area, the same area that we grew up in. He was about 14 when he moved there. And so as a kid, I remember him sort of rooting for the Philly teams. And I got into some of the other sports first. I got into basketball and then baseball. And I think that it's safe to say that probably those were probably bigger sports in our family growing up when we were really young. And so I got into the Knicks and got into the the Mets and then later kind of switched to the Yankees. As far as the Giants were concerned, I think it just kind of picked it up just sort of from being in New York. And I had you know friends who were Giant fans and their families were Giants fans. And so it definitely didn't come from family. I think it sort of just came from having to pick one between the Giants and the Jets and the Giants being more appealing for
2: whatever reason. Well, at least you're not a Jets fan that has to hurt really bad.
1: Yeah, it was a, uh, it was a good choice. I, I don't really remember. I'm, I'm three and a half years younger uh, than Dan. My brother um, was born in December of 82. I was born in May of 86. So, I don't really remember making a conscious decision when it comes to football. I just kind of always remember being a Giant fan. But um, yeah, if you think about that as sort of a 50 50 choice as a kid that maybe you make based on uniforms or whatever, it was a very good pick because, you know, the Giants in my lifetime have won four Super Bowls, two that I'm really acutely aware of. They've played in the third one. They've been, uh, you know, competitive the last few years, notwithstanding. Meanwhile, friends of mine who were my age, who were Jet fans, uh, the few good memories have been more than offset by the embarrassing or bad uh, moments. So it was definitely for something that I guess could have gone either way. As a, as a kid, it was definitely the right path to go down at that age.
3: Well, and I think I think we sort of became aware of football at the perfect time to be a giant fan, kind of in like the early nineties. And they were just coming off the golden years, this Parcells LT Phil Sims winning two super bowls year. So I think that you just sort of naturally gravitated to the giants growing up. And obviously you met some later. I don't remember a lot of people that I grew up around at least early on being jet fans, we actually, and this frust- I know this is something that frustrates Andrew, too. We grew up in an area where there were a lot of Cowboy fans. How in because- the world? I think because the Giants had been for so bad for so long, and the Cowboys of the 70s were kind of America's team, and so people just, for whatever reason, kind of got and stayed interested in them. Andrew, would you kind of say you had the same experience?
1: Well, there's a sandwich effect, because... We grew up in, and some of the first Super Bowls I remember vividly, unfortunately, are the, the two Cowboy Bills Super Bowls. So there was a lot of kids our age who were Cowboys fans because when you're young, a lot of kids tend to be front runners and then maybe they stick with the team or maybe they grow out of it. But then on top of that, you had sort of the generation or, or you know, maybe half a generation before us, which was people our dad's age or maybe a little bit younger where the Giants and Jets were both awful in the entirety of the 70s. Um, You know, the Giants started being awful in the mid-60s. The Jets, by the early 70s, when Namath went down, um, you know, when Namath's career was over or when it was in its twilight. So there was a whole sort of generation of kids in the New York area who did not, or I don't want to say the whole generation, but there was a large percentage of kids. If you grew up in the seventies in New York, the two New York teams were so bad that there was a lot of kids who just chose the Cowboys, I guess, because they were on national TV all the time and the whole America's team mythology. So there was a lot of adults and kids, our own age who happened to be cow or who were Cowboys fans when we were, you know, kids in say the early
2: nineties. Well, like you're saying, it's probably the time that you were born in. If you were born in the 60s, you would probably be a Jet fan because of Joe Namath. In and the th- 70s, you had Roger Staubach, who, to me, I, for what I understand, is one of the greatest guys you'll ever meet.
1: Yeah, and I think it's also – people tend to overstate this. Um, it's not a, a fully – you know, full correlation, but but it definitely does exist, which is – a lot of people in New York, if you're a, a Yankees fan, you're a Giants fan. And if you're a Mets fan, you're a Jets fan. Now, there's plenty of crossover with that, where I know plenty of Yankees fans who are Mets fans and Jets fans who are... Uh, or me, Yankees fans who are also Mets fans. Jesus, let me try to get this right once. <laughs> Yankees <laughs> fans who are Jets fans and Giant fans who are Mets fans. Um, but in general... There is that sort of correlation. The the Yankees and Giants are older franchises. The Mets and Jets have sort of a lock on the Queens, Brooklyn, Long Island area. So that's sort of how it started. Um, but yeah, I think there was a lot of kids a certain age where Joe Namath was so cool and such a you know sort of cultural figure for that little window there that I think a lot of kids did become jet fans because of that one year and one player. And a lot of them have probably spent a long time regretting it ever since.
2: Well, I mean, if a guy could pull off a coat, like Joe Namath, a fur coat, <laughs> you, you want to follow him. Um, all right. So I, I kind of asked this toward the end, but I'm going to ask you because of what y'all have done over the last two weeks. I give you a block of granite and I said, make your Mount Rushmore of New York giants. It could be coaches. It could be the owner. It could be players. Now That's going to be hard for a team that's been around since what, the thirties. That's a long time. 1925. 1925. And, and I'll tell you what, what I've read and, and heard from Wellington Mara and, and the Mara family, they, they were out on a limb there for a while.
1: Yeah, they um and I will buy you some time Dan. I two names jump off the top of my head that have to go on there but um yeah the the Giants you know they were a contender through most of the 50s and early 60s they won a title in 56 and then they were sort of I always say they were a, an er, early precursor to the Buffalo Bills and that they lost the NFL championship in 58, 59, 61, 62 and 63 and then uh, Started a long decline where they were sort of stuck in a, a model in the 40s and 50s, while teams like Dallas and Miami, uh, Pittsburgh, that were really successful in the 70s, modernized things like scouting and training, and the Giants were still trying to do things in a really old school way. And you know, then they had to move out of Yankee Stadium to, while Yankee Stadium was renovated to become a baseball specific venue. They ended up playing in sort of the low point of the Giants from a perception standpoint was the mid 70s when they played out in New Haven, Connecticut at the Yale Bowl. Which, if you know sort of the geography of this area, New Haven, Connecticut is nowhere near New York City, both geographically and in the like zeitgeist. Like it may as well have been Canada, essentially. It didn't help that they lost every game they played in New Haven. Um, finally came back to the, to the Meadowlands in the seventies in 76. You had the miracle with the Meadowlands. And then finally the NFL had enough and said, we can't have a team in New York being this awful and non-competitive and inept and basically forced the giants to modernize. And that led into the Parcells era. Um Dan, the two names that I think have to go on in Mount Rushmore, and let me know if you agree with these, Wellington Mara and Lawrence Taylor are the two that right away, no matter what, will end up on there. Do you agree with that?
3: I'm totally with you on LT. Mm -hmm. Now, I would not put Wellington Mara or anybody from the Mara family on the list for exactly the reasons that you just discussed, which are the fact that the family in the organization kind of had to be pulled kicking and screaming into the 20th century when in the late 70s and early 80s where the league basically had to tell them look you got to get your stuff together here or we're gonna you know we i don't know if they could actually force them to sell the team but those meetings had to take place where the league had to tell them look you're doing a really bad job here and so well, I like Wellington Mara, he's beloved, he I have a lot of respect for the family. I have a hard time putting Wellington Mara or anybody from the Mara family on for that reason.
1: Okay, that's uh, that's fair. It's, it's funny, Wellington Mara may actually be, there may be a stronger case for Wellington Mara on the NFL route, Mount Rushmore. That's
3: a fair it's point. Yeah.
1: For the NFL overall then. But okay, so do you what other names jump out at you? Parcells?
3: Yes, I would put Parcells. Now, both Parcells and Coughlin won two Super Bowls. But and look, I love those Giants teams of the more recent vintage, especially that 07 team. That's just the happiest I've ever been after a sporting event is in 2007 when the Giants beat New England, just because it was so unexpected and the game was so dramatic. But really, even though they're perennial playoff teams, the Coughlin Giants had a lot of sort of nine and seven, eight and eight years, even years when they made the playoffs. If you look at all of the years of Parcells with the Giants, really starting in '84, and then all the way through to, eight, to 1990 they were one of the better teams in the league, one of the best teams in the league, almost every single year. So, I you know, we're talking double-digit wins, wins in the playoffs. Tom Coughlin never won a playoff game outside the two seasons that they won the Super Bowl. So, I would definitely go with Parcells as number two. Hmm. After that, I think after that, it kind of depends on how much you want to wade into the past because even to this day, Mel Hine, who was the center in the thirties is considered, you know, when you see lists of, you know, top 10 offensive linemen, or when the NFL did the hundredth anniversary team last year, Mel Hine was one of the oldest guys on that team. So if you're going to go old and you're going to sort of wait every era equally, I would go Mel Hine. And then maybe, maybe somebody from the 50s team like Frank Gifford now or Sam Huff. Then there's also part of me that wants to put Eli on there because he was the face of the franchise when they won two Super Bowls. So I guess I kind of threw three out there, Gifford, Mel Hine, and Sam Huff.
1: Well, I'd have to... And we probably should wrap this up quickly because I don't think this is supposed to be a question that takes 25 minutes.
2: <laughs> it's, it's, your, it's your show. It's your show. Don't worry don't, about don't,
1: it. Don't tell us that. Uh, I would ding Huff just because he played half his career somewhere else. Yeah. Um, I'd be inclined to go with Eli. Um, just... Yeah. I know it probably isn't to not have somebody from that 50s team represented, but I... I think Eli is much more important to the telling of the story
2: of the would New York you, Would you carve a smile on his face?
1: <laughs> I would have the normal sort of stoic Eli Manning look, um, the sort of just expressionless face, but uh, I wouldn't be particular about that. But yeah, I, I would go say L.T. Parcells, Mel Hine, and Eli is a fair list. Um, you know, it's not the four best players or you know guys who played in the most games or whatever but I think that's a decent list if I probably would have Wellington Mara on there but I understand my brother's uh claims sort of to the contrary about Wellington Mara but I would probably have him on there but
2: now I'm I'm gonna ask a personal question for both of you and I'll give you my answer with this I own three pairs thanks to my granny of titans night clothes i just keeps me nice and warm when i'm crying at night now do y'all have anything like that that just keeps you nice and warm while you're waiting for daniel jones to go off
1: i'm wearing a giants hoodie right now um and i i have like a collection of six jerseys none of which, Yeah, you
3: were big on jerseys for a while
1: yeah none of which are particularly new but i i have like a sort of a rotating whenever there's a whenever there's a giant game like on a sunday i i'm i have a rotation of six jerseys and what i do is if they win i continue to wear that one the next week and then if they lose which has been a lot lately i switch jerseys so that that's sort of the I used to be crazy when I was younger in terms of in high school and college in terms of a million different sort of game day rituals, but i've I've tried to cut back on that, but the Jersey thing is still the one that I uh, that I hang tight to.
3: Yeah, and I'm not anywhere near as interesting. I got a I got a couple of sweatshirts and a, a couple of t-shirts that my wife has bought me for Christmas over the years. But uh, I've never actually had a jersey. I've, I always think sometimes if I were to buy a jersey, who I would buy, whether it be somebody historical. But uh, Andrew definitely has a leg up on me when it comes to the clothes.
2: Well, you have a 56, don't you?
1: You were a kid, you did, Dan, like a, a, when we were in elementary school.
3: Um, I did have a 56 Giants. I think it was like one of those really sort of low rent ones. I'm trying to remember. I don't even think there was a number on the front. I think there was just a 56 on the back. It was definitely a Giants jersey, but I think it was just on the back.
2: We don't question it. You know, if it has the Giants colors, it's a Giants jersey. (laughs) Now, the history of the Giants, uh, very long. And in fact, I've read this book called The Tales from the New York Giants Sideline. Fantastic book. Fantastic Mm -hmm. book. Didn't know a lot of that stuff. Uh, But basically what I understand is what you were saying in the 70s and the early 80s, they were kind of not there. And then when you brought the big tuna in, he really did change things. And uh, to me, two players really made the big difference in it, Lawrence Taylor and Phil Sims. Of course, there's more. Mm -hmm. But if you remember back, Phil Sims would be the one that you remember playing quarterback, isn't it?
3: He was the one that I remember from sort of when I started. I think even before I got into the Giants and into football, I think I just kind of knew as a little kid in the back of my mind that the Giants quarterback was Phil Sims. My first real memory of the Giants was in Super Bowl twenty-five when they beat Buffalo. And that's actually the episode of our podcast that we're going to record next is on Super Bowl twenty-five. So... My first memory of the Giants is during those few years when they were going back and forth between whether they would go with Phil Sims or Jeff Hosteller.
1: And the first year I remember sort of vividly was Phil Sims's last year, which we didn't know at the time. Was also Lawrence Taylor's last year that he had announced, and that was 1993. The Giants had been really bad in ninety one and ninety two under Ray Handley. And then in ninety three, uh, that was Dan Reeves' first year and they had kind of a resurgence. Phil Sims had a really good year. They made the playoffs. Uh they lost in the second round to San Francisco. And then in the off season, kind of out of nowhere, George Young cut Phil Sims and that led us into three plus years of the Dave Brown era with oh, the Giants. Yeah. Yeah. So I remember Sims, um, his last year, and then him sort of existing in the, you know, between video games and there used to be a video that my brother and I used to rent all the time. You know, we'd go to the tape store and generally rent the same four or five tapes a million times. But back then it was like, you didn't know how to it wasn't something you could buy. There was no internet or anything. And one of the ones we would buy was the, or one of the ones we would rent was the 1990 Giants video yearbook where they, there'd be a couple of minute clip on each regular season game and then through the playoffs. So, you know, this was a few years later when we were into the Dave Brown era, but renting that tape and watching Phil Sims, you know, even though I only remember him as the last season, he sort of existed in a lot of media and games and stuff immediately prior as the Giants quarterback. So that's kind of what I remember. And, you know, wishing that he was still around when I was watching Dave Brown lead them to 5-11 and 11 seasons. So,
3: And Giant fans really didn't stop longing for the Phil Sims days, probably until Kerry Collins came along, which was like six or seven years later. So... There was a long time, and I think part of this was the fact that they sort of cut him unceremoniously when he wanted to keep playing, but there was a really long time when Giants fans were pining for Phil Sims
2: well, that is uh the Kerry Collins Super Bowl, I believe it was in two thousand. I remember that vividly that I had to be taken to the emergency room because I had the flu. Oh geez, and it made it even worse when I saw that the uh the Ravens won That made it even worse. <sighs> I'm not bitter. I'm not bitter at all. (laughs) Not that they beat my Titans, which was the best year that they, that they played was that year in 2000, but anyway, getting off the topic here. So what, one thing I do like to ask is uh, do you own anything, any special memorabilia, anything that, that means something to you, but not to, not to anybody else?
1: I have somewhere. um, And I, I mean, I have a few things that, aren't really unique, but they're just giant stuff that I've sort of collected over the years. But I have somewhere and I honestly, it's somewhere in my parents' house somewhere, but when they won in, in 2007, I was in, um, I was in college. I was a senior in college in Philadelphia and I came home for the game to a friend of mine's house to watch the game. And then went back to school Monday morning and then Tuesday morning I drove or I got up at about three o'clock in the morning and got on a train from Philadelphia back to New York for the parade. So I still have a bunch of stuff from the parade that day. They were handing out ceremonial newspapers and I actually have somewhere in between all of that stuff. It was the ticker tape parade in New York city and, and got, you know, people in the crowd would throw rolls of toilet paper you know all all around the parade and sometimes they'd land on the floats and the defensive lineman float when they went by for some you know one of the players I don't know who it was but one of the players had a roll of toilet paper and threw it out into the crowd and I caught like a big piece of it so i I have it it's obviously wasn't you know used but it, I have like a,
2: a well, you were prepared for the uh, toilet paper shortage that we had uh, a few months ago.
1: <laughs> so I have like a, a piece of a roll of toilet paper, like a couple of fist lengths around that uh, I caught from the parade in 20- in uh, February of 08, which is not really memorabilia that most people would consider worth something. But it means something to me, even though it's just toilet paper that has nothing to really do with the Giants. But I caught it at the parade. So. There you go.
3: Yeah, I don't really have anything specifically like that. I, somewhere, and I don't know where this is. Whether this is with me or at my parents' house, or may, at some point, maybe it even disappeared, which would be unfortunate. I have the like the nineteen ninety three Giants yearbook. You know, that they would put out at the beginning of the season, and it would have all the players in it. That's sort of the big thing that comes to mind. I've kind of become in recent years i've become a collector of dvds of different um seasons and in fact that just the 1990 and the 2007 you can get for like 50 60 bucks online you can get dvd sets of the entire season so that's something that i like having because it's cool to watch highlight shows and see them on nfl network and that type of thing but you can what I really like is the ability to kind of just go and go through an entire season and sort of relive it from game one until the Super Bowl. So not as much necessarily for me on the memorabilia side, but I do have a lot of things that I use or that I watch to kind of transport me back to those seasons.
2: Well, I can respect that. Uh, The one thing that Y'all have that. I would love to have the four Super Bowls, and I think you won four championships before the Super Bowl era. Um, you have a long history, and I appreciate y'all sharing your stories with me today. Absolutely,
1: no, it's always uh, nice to be able to reflect on some of the the better times because the better
2: times. <laughs> see, we're not here to make people sad. We're here <laughs> to encourage people, especially now, knowing that Corona will probably be around for another few months, even though that the uh, vaccine is out. It's we want to make people happy.
3: Exactly. Absolutely.
2: All right. So um, plug your show again, plug your Twitter, plug your website, everything.
3: Sure. So we do Hello Old Sports on the Sports History Network. We started, like I said, back in October. You can find us on Facebook at just Hello Old Sports Podcast. So give us a like, give us a rating, a comment. Anything like that. So if you want to email us, you can email us at hello old sports at gmail.com. And like I said, we kind of do a mix of a little bit of everything. You know, we'll do anything from let's go back to 1920 and relive 1920 in sports, or let's talk about, you know, the ones we did recently, the Mount Rushmore at quarterback for each of the 32 NFL franchises, or we'll we'll look at something a little more contemporary. We did an episode about what's been wrong in heavyweight boxing for the last 30 or 35 years. So we're really sort of all over the map, football, basketball, baseball, boxing, you know, and then some episodes that that meld a bunch of different sports. So we we usually post uh every Thursday. So, you know, we we try and get them out every Thursday and yeah, just give us a listen. We have if you're a New York fan and maybe you saw this episode and you gave it a listen because it was about the Giants, we definitely talk a lot about New York. We talk a lot about national stuff and just all sorts of history. But I, if you're a New York fan, I would especially recommend giving us a listen because a lot of our episodes are, are are focused to some extent or another on New York sports.
2: Well, thank you all, fellas, for for joining us on the Footballers Family Podcast. And I'd love to have you all on. Uh, maybe one day you and I, uh, all three of us can talk about a Titans Giants Super Bowl. <laughs> Maybe.
1: Yeah, that would be... The Giants and anybody sounds like a good Super Bowl to me at this point, so...
2: (laughs) Thank you all for listening to a Football is Family podcast. This podcast
0: is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, And I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Join George Bozica, the president of the PFRA, and myself, John Bozica, each month.